Hello and welcome to the first episode of 2021 of the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you've come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and of course just a little bit of entertainment. Happy New Year! It feels a bit strange saying that now considering all that is going on outside the front door but... Nonetheless, it is a new year and I'd like to wish you the very best of health and success for the year ahead. It's going to be another roller coaster of a year. There will be plenty of ups and downs, hopefully more wins than losses. And in the face of what's happening locally and globally, I hope you are staying safe and taking some time for yourself to embrace some form of movement or exercise, whatever that may be for you. If you need some support, motivation and help with getting your exercise done or indeed getting some motivation to get outside the front door, we have a super Facebook group recently renamed Try Talking Sport Lockdown Lifestyle Challenge. And within that group, there's a whole mix of abilities and interests across swim, bike and run. It's a very safe and positive environment filled with encouragement and motivation. So if you have lost a little bit of your sparkle or your motivation magic or just need to pick me up, feel free to join us in the group you can pop me an email if you can't find it on Facebook. Thankfully, we have had a very positive start to the year with the announcement that our Monday Night Swift Spins, which had been running as a meetup since September, were to become part of the official Zwift Global Calendar. Yippee! The spin is now being coordinated in partnership with Team Ireland Cycling and the Park Tri community. And huge thanks to Richie Sheeran and Oliver Harkin, who are spearheading our spin every week. It's fantastic. We started back last week and with a great crew of 150 riders. And this week we had over 200 people enjoying a social spin on the virtual tarmac for 60 minutes. The session is open to all and a great way to start the week. You can sign up each week on the companion app. Look for the 7.30pm Team Ireland Try Talking Sport Park Try Spin or keep an eye on our social media for the joining link. Now, you may have also seen on social that we set up a fun macaroon protein square cook-off challenge. Jeepers, that was a mouthful. Uh, with ultra-endurance cyclist Joe Barr and performance nutritionist Gillian Amuni. We've had loads of requests for the recipes and we've had loads of people making the macaroons and I can confirm they are very, very tasty. If you'd like a copy of the recipe, please pop an email to trytalkingsport at gmail.com. Now, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the most recent episode of the show with Jerry Duffy, be sure to check it out. It's filled with insight and information to help you beat off those January lockdown or COVID blues. For this episode, I was delighted to chat with South African-based British professional triathlete Emma Pallant, whom I have had the pleasure of meeting on numerous occasions as she stormed to victory at multiple Ironman 70.3 races in recent years. Emma Pallant is a name synonymous with success in sport, firstly as a runner and more recently in endurance sport and triathlon. Identified at a young age as a talented athlete, she embarked on a sporting journey as a runner and earned a string of successes and wins to her name at a local, national and international level. She narrowly missed qualification for the Beijing Olympics in 2008, then injury saw her miss London 2012. Despite the disappointment that ensued, it didn't deter her from following her passion for sport. In fact, it made her hungry for more and created an opportunity for Emma to explore and excel in multi-sport racing, resulting in a career of sporting excellence across swim, bike and run. Having taken up triathlon in 2012, she spent some time on the ITU circuit before making a move to longer distance racing. She has worked hard to get where she is today, but she has made the sport her own, embracing and adapting quickly to the triathlon lifestyle. And although running is still her favourite discipline, when added to her swim and bike, she is a force to be reckoned with. 
Some of her most notable achievements include being a double world champion in duathlon. She also has a world aquathon title and she finished second in the Ironman 70.3 World Championships in 2017, which saw her make her mark the distance whilst the world was watching. Since then, she has podiumed in countless races across the world in both 70.3 and full distance triathlon, including a third place spot at Ironman Austria in 2018, which she stamped her ticket to race at Kona. In 2019, she had a podium packed season and in early 2020, she finished Ironman 70.3 South Africa in second place. Last year was not the season she was expecting, but making the most of her opportunities, she packed a punch at all her racing efforts in the virtual world and in real life. A stellar athlete who has the world at her feet, she remains grounded, focused, passionate and committed to her sport. I expect we will see a lot more from Emma Pallant for many years to come. Enjoy the show. Emma, thank you so much for joining me on our first podcast of 2021. Woohoo! Thank you so much for having me. No problem. So, Emma, we know you're in South Africa, but where in South Africa are you and how are things over there at the moment? Um, Yeah, so we've done a little mini trip over Christmas of a little tour of South Africa um, and we are back home in Johannesburg. So, uh, yeah, it's um, it's definitely been a little bit of a roller coaster over over Christmas and New Year, but it's um, it's good to be home. And of course, we did see uh, just before Christmas, you were meant to get married, but those plans got scuppered because of COVID. So one of the questions I'm going to have to ask you is, has the date been reset for 2021 and what are the wedding plans? Yes. So uh, we sent something out to to people to say that the, the wedding was cancelled. And then we thought, actually, that's, that's probably not the best way. We probably should explain ourselves. It's been postponed. Um, and um, yeah, so we, we had everything planned. We got engaged last year in March and we were like positive thinking things are going to be fine by December. Let's just throw everything into it and hope for the best. So, uh, yeah, we really delayed um postponing it so yeah I had the big wedding planned but it's, it's obviously not to be so we're still going to get married um actually next Friday just a super small ceremony uh the same place that we were going to get married but yeah, yeah just with a couple of friends and then do a zoom online to everyone else that so it was meant to be coming I think the hardest thing was I was so looking forward to it's been over a year now since I've seen my family and it was a big kind of yeah if everyone can travel and get over um, and they were the same. Everyone booked their flights. All my friends um, had booked their flights and things. Um, so, yeah, it was just going to be a big party. But um, I think it's going to be a special day. It's just going to be very different. And hopefully everyone will be able to come and celebrate with us uh, next December. Take the trip over. And what are the restrictions like in South Africa at the moment? Because here in Ireland and I know in the UK, the restrictions are gone quite strict now. So we've gone back to pretty much where we were in March of, of 2020 into a level five, almost a level five plus restriction here in Ireland. So, you know, there's no going to the shops unless it's the essential journey. And um, they're asking people to stay at home. The schools are closed. Businesses are shut. Um, and really, we're only allowed to go out and about for up to 5K for exercise. Is that the same in South Africa? Has it been as strict as that or, or what's the situation over there at the moment? Yeah, so the, the initial lockdown that we had um, back in April uh, was super strict. So we weren't, we couldn't even go out to exercise. It was literally stay, stay in your house. Um, and so we're, we're not back at that level yet. Um, but in, cases had increased. So uh, we're they're back to no alcohol um, and I think only groups of up to 50 people. Um, but they really are kind of saying no gathering. So yeah, don't meet with people. 
Um, and even cycling, you can only have um, up to four people keep a distance and ideally in the same household. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of uh, they're, they're shutting um, beaches and parks and things. And, yeah, just trying to get people gathering, not the massive lockdown that we did. So we can still go outside for now. So, uh, yeah, we're counting ourselves lucky. Well, you're lucky you're not getting married in Ireland because there's only six people allowed at a wedding in Ireland at the moment under the current uh, restrictions, which is quite small. Oh, yeah, that that sounds like what our wedding is going to be. I think we were allowed 10 people, including ourselves. So we we have eight guests coming. So, uh, yeah, a little bit, (laughs) a little bit of tough decisions going down. I'm sure you'll have an absolutely fantastic day regardless. And um, although I'd love to spend all day talking about the wedding planning, we are going to talk about your success in sport. You're still quite young, but you've had a stellar career to date. A runner, a world champion in duathlon and aquathlon, super successful professional triathlete. So will you bring us right back, Emma, to when you were a youngster, how you got involved in sport and were you all was sporty yeah so I think from a young age um well my mum describes me as always being hyperactive and yeah she kind of felt that sports would would suit me quite well so but then everyone that um every sport she took me to to test out I seemed to love so I ended up joining so many clubs and (laughs) she became more like a taxi driver but um yeah I just loved sport I was super competitive from from a young age like even on holidays I would bully my brother into spending hours and hours on the tennis court and yeah, I think it was just one of those things that I I just love to be active and I, I love to push my body um, and had fun outside. So it was probably, can't, I think I was probably about 14 or maybe even a little bit younger when it was actually my run coach that said, if you're really competitive and you seriously want to be good at one sport, then uh, yeah, you have to make a decision. You can't do everything, which yeah, where I am and what I'm doing now is, is a bit ironic, but uh, <laughs> I chose three. You were on track for the Beijing Olympics, but injury got in the way. I mean, you were a serious runner, a very successful young runner. Yeah, yeah. And I just, running was the one I loved. I think like team sports were great and uh, I found them fun, but I just felt so free and so um, just like I could push my body more than anything else when when I was out running. Yeah, I was seriously committed to it. Um, Again, I kind of, I didn't, see it as ever being committed or like it's just something that I love to do like I wanted to go out and run every day and and that became my social life and we had such a good group of kind of young athletes that were all growing up together and just going to the races and yeah probably overdid it a little bit I was um I think I was 18 when I had my my knee surgery that was a bit of a wake-up call of you can't just go hard all the time and and you'll be all right (laughs) In the time from when you were running um, back back 2008, how did you make the switch then into aquathlon, duathlon and then eventually into triathlon? So I was mentored by Kelly Holm. So um, she had like a mentoring scheme that, that took us to races and uh, she was very involved in, in my running career. Um, and she had a charity that was at London Triathlon. When I kind of dropped out of a race and, and I was like, I can't, I can't run anymore. I, I'm getting so frustrated with this. She was like, okay, you need a goal for your cross training. What what can we have at the end of it that you can enter? And she was like, I've got a charity spot at this triathlon. Why don't you swim and bike hard? And then we know you can run in a couple of months. Just give the, the running a rest and then just uh, run at the end of the triathlon. So, yeah, I swam hard. I biked hard. And after a week of training, I thought, actually, I have no idea what I am doing. Um, <laughs> and I should probably get a coach or, or some kind of guidance. Um, so I wrote to um, Michelle Dillon. 
and um yeah she was like uh okay I'll, I'll take you on and um yeah then it kind of began quite seriously so uh I got moved up into the elite wave it was de- definitely an experience my first triathlon. So how did you end up getting moved from the regular age group wave into the elite wave did they spot your talent or did they did they yeah, know they, of your talent? Uh the the performance director at British Triathlon um was the performance director at UK Athletics before so like second in command so yeah I knew her quite well and and I'd been at a lot of running races with her and yeah, she she asked me if uh, <laughs> if I wanted to uh, be bumped up. So did you race Daniela Reef that year? Yes, that's the year. Yeah. <laughs> and you finished yeah. sixth behind Daniela in the elite wave on the day. Yeah, I think it was sixth. Yeah. That is uh, that's pretty incredible to think that you obviously have some great running form despite your injury, but then to be able to put it all together and to execute a sixth place performance in the elite wave on the day must have been phenomenal. Yeah, I think looking back at how I stood on that line and um, I think right now, knowing how unprepared I was, I I would have been terrified. Like I hadn't swum open water and um, yeah, I felt like I was fighting for my life in there, which uh, I'm sure many people can uh, agree with. But um, yeah, it was uh, was a crazy experience. So was it love at first sight with triathlon then? Like many of us who do our first race, the buzz after crossing the finish and I was like, oh yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm hooked now. Yeah, I, I kind of felt it was like a road running race, but time 10. I kind of felt like I, I love being able to race, like everyone is together and everyone is in the same race. And it was such a massive event. And I kind of like, that's what I used to love about road races, that you turn up and everyone was on the same start line and it was a big event and it felt like a big party. And I couldn't believe that this was, yeah, this is what all triathlons were like, that everyone raced together. And uh, yeah, I definitely got the bug. Where did you go after that? Yeah, so that kind of got me uh, thinking that this is what I, because I'd really enjoyed the training as well, the, the lead into it. I, and I hadn't had many weeks training, but um, I enjoyed that you were literally, yeah, working hard. Like the hours in the day were so different to being a professional runner. You kind of, yeah, you, there was a lot more training and it was more of a lifestyle type thing. I was actually working as a physio to begin with. And uh, so whilst I was running and um, I kind of decided that if I wanted to do triathlon properly and commit to the hours of training, then um, yeah, I'd have to throw it all in. I kind of, I'd had a really good running sponsor. So I, so I made some savings and, and I kind of worked out I could support myself for the first six months. So yeah, that was the idea. I just through all in it for six months to see where I could get to. Tell us a little bit about some of those results that you got, Emma. You are a multiple world champion in aquathlon and duathlon. So how did you go from that first triathlon to become a world champion? Yeah, so a lot of years, uh, a lot of training. And um, it was the duathlon that really helped me because it was that bit of um, my swim. I started off in uh, the shorter course. So my swim, yeah, I'd often get out of the swim and only see my bike there. So, yeah, that was tough racing to begin with. And, and it was kind of the duathlon that gave me that. It kept me in there. A, it was prize money because, um, yeah, it kind of helped fund me to my triathlon races where I still knew I had to up my swim to get the results. Duathlon, I, I, I thought it came quite naturally. And, and I absolutely love duathlon. I, I still want to go back to world duathlon, fingers crossed, this year. In those years, it kind of, it was also moving from short course to, to long course that, that helped. Again, with that swim, just not being as strong, I kind of uh, could depend on my bike a little bit more. How did you cope with the swim side of things in terms of stepping up with your ability as a swimmer to match your performance on the bike and as a runner? 
it's really hard to to think about it but the, one of the annoying things for me as well I, I could feel great in a duathlon so I could feel great on the bike on the run um, and then you put a swim in front and I'd come out of the water so tired I didn't feel like my bike or run was where it should be either and um, it was kind of putting that into the mind frame of okay it is down to the swim like don't panic don't keep on trying to ramp up the run and bike because that also was having a negative impact on my swim um, and I actually went away for I think it was six weeks in the end to Perth to um, a training camp with um, Swim Smooth. So I joined his squad and yeah, took things back to basics. And um, literally we were swimming with the squad like twice a day. So um, there wasn't a massive amount of room for overbiking or overrunning. Um, and yeah, it was frustrating. I, I hate to slow down and the swim is so much about technique and flowing and relaxing and um, I think it was good for me just as a life lesson as well and it was actually I'd say the biggest turning point for me was actually when um, I broke my clavicle and then ended up in the gym and that land training and doing all those I was so obsessed with the videos online like watching people's technique and I just watched so much stuff whilst I couldn't get in the pool um, I think that actually really helped. And are the pools open in South Africa at the moment? Yes. So uh, the swimming pools on their own aren't, but if they're in a gym. Um, so, yeah, they've closed all the dams and, and the, the beaches and everything. But if your pool is in a gym, then uh, the gyms are still open. So, yeah, I can still swim. But. Yeah, you, you didn't set up a paddling pool in the back garden, no? <laughs> if, if I could have done, I would have done. But um, no, just swim bands all day long. When did you decide then to step up to the longer distance stuff? When I found out that I, I think it was my second, my second year of, of short course and I'd got a top 10 at a WTS, but um, I still wasn't on funding. And it was kind of, it was that decision of, okay, I, I either have to go back to work to, to support myself to go to these races or I give the, the, the long course a shot and um, just believe that, that I can get the results. Kind of doing the aquathlon and duathlon um, alongside that. And to be honest, the training didn't massively tra change. It was more the equipment. So learning to get on a TT bike, learning to ride aero. And uh, yeah, that was a, a big learning <laughs> learning curve. What about the difference from moving from the draft racing across to the non-draft legal racing of the longer distance stuff? I much preferred the idea of time trialing because it was that much more, it didn't matter, like you didn't have to study like to work out the dynamics of the race beforehand because everyone was going to be working as, as hard as each other. Um, so yeah, the time trialing really <laughs> appealed to me, but just the, the aerodynamics were quite a bit to get my head around. Your first Ironman 70.3 or your middle distance race then was in um, Brazil. Was that the race in Brazil where you were winning? And then what happened? <laughs> that was the one. Um, so obviously the other factor and side of things on the long course is it being a four hour race. Uh, you kind of have to have good nutrition. So uh, yeah, I didn't really think overly think it. Um, I thought Brazil's a great place. I'm going to have so much fun there. Um, get a good tan. Uh, also got super dehydrated. I, I didn't really eat or drink on the bike at all. Um, I was just in that zone, just in that, you know, just pushing and just yeah, feeling like the race was all going to plan. And, and I couldn't believe it. My first one kind of leading a race with the lead bicycle. Um, and then it just hit me like I, I felt really bad. And then I think I had about a K to go and I felt really, really bad. And I thought I'd just stop at this water station. And then, yeah, just remember kind of waking up, looking up at everyone and uh, not knowing where I was. <laughs> 
thankfully they didn't um the medical didn't do anything to me uh on course so they said as long as I stayed on there came around and got myself going again I I walked in and I think I came sixth or yeah sixth again I think (laughs) but despite that actually happening to you it must have given you an awful lot of self-confidence step up in your very first middle distance race and be so close to winning like to be leading the race and it must have given you a huge amount of self-confidence for the next time you went to go racing the distance yeah (laughs) and I love how you think that was the exact like train of thought so you straight away think okay the next one that must have helped you for the next one whereas my mum who tried to be tracking from home her first thought when she phoned me was okay you're never going to do that again are you like (laughs) so you you hate that that sport we're not going to do long anymore um but yeah no I thought the same as you I was like this is brilliant and like I love this race like there's a chance for me here so uh yeah I was super happy with it You've had a really good career in the 70.3 and even at long distance racing. But I was looking at your race results there before we started chatting and it's a lot of 70.3. Is that where your strength is now? Do you think is that where you're going to focus for the future, the 70.3 distance racing? Or will you look to go long and and try to go back to Hawaii again? Yeah, definitely. I think um, so the the long stuff, I kind of, yeah, I felt like it really impacted um, two years of my 70.3s. And, and I feel like I've got more um, to do with, with in 70.3. And at the moment, I'm definitely just want to focus on that. I want to see where I can go, like where I can take it. Um, and yeah, for sure, that's the, the priority. And, and I've decided definitely not to, to race long for, for the next couple of years to see where I can go with it. Because you had an exceptional race. Was it in Nice where you came second against Daniela in the 70.3 World Championships? Uh, In Chattanooga. Oh, Chattanooga. Sorry. Yeah. And you have qualified for Worlds in 70.3 for this year, which should have been last year, really. Yeah. So this year, which is now St. George, I think I keep I keep saying New Zealand. I know we get we all get confused, but it, it must have. Again, I come back to that confidence piece, Emma, because to line up in Chattanooga, I mean, you were relatively new to the 70.3 distance racing at that time to go up against the best in the world um, at that level. But to come second to Daniela, who I'm sure had a massive target on her back for that race, it must again have been fantastic for you. I know it would have been nice to have won, but also to finish just behind her yeah definitely and I'd, I'd kind of so the the two years previous to that um I'd won the world duathlon then I'd gone to the world duathlon um two weeks before because it was in Canada and and uh the world 70.3 was in Chattanooga so we worked out we could do both and um yeah I'd gone to the world duathlon and I'd got a bit excited maybe overtrained a little bit and I was tired there and um I just had a bad race I was really really I came third and I was not happy with my race and I kind of then took that gap in between um the world duathlon and the world 70.3 to just relax trust in what I'd done freshen up and I just had that fire in my belly you know when you just race and and it was my first world 70.3 champs but I was excited I felt like I just felt ready yeah I stood on that start line and and uh, I just enjoyed it. The whole race, I really enjoyed. You talk about um, disappointment, Emma, but you've had a fair share of it over the course of your career, as well as the highs. There have been some lows with the knee injury and, and missing out on certain races as well that maybe you look back on would love to have been part of. Now, I know you've gone on another fantastic journey in sport, but how do you deal with disappointment? You know, going into a race potentially a favourite in a race, maybe not winning it or having a nutritional problem or having a cramp or a pain or whatever reason that you don't do as well as you've set yourself out to do. How do you come back from that disappointment of of a 
a bad race day or what you would perceive to be a poor performance day? Yeah, I think I, I just always try and look for the purpose of that training block. And, and I think there's never the, the end result is always great. But in the journey that you did to work to that end result, I think that's the magic. I think that's what changes you as a, as a person, physically, mentally, whatever it is, you, you gain so much in that period. And then it's kind of whatever happens after, if you get the result or if you don't, you, you can't erase all that hard work that you did. And, and I think it's, I always try and look back, for example, when I, when I was training for Beijing and, and really looking to those Olympics and I didn't make the team, but my best friend did. And I trained with her on all that lead up, all that for one of us to get there, it kind of, it was still our work and, and those precious kind of moments that we had, those, I don't know, training sessions where you go to that deep, dark place and you just, like, no one can take that away from you. And I think, okay, so the world didn't see the performance that you wanted to execute, but everything that you did to get to there, it, it doesn't go anywhere. And I think just having that inner thing of, yeah, well, you, you're still that stronger athlete. You can go back, there's 10, 11, 12, however many more races you want. Um, you're still there. And uh, yeah, you're always going to get another opportunity if if that's what you want. Looking back now, do you think if you had gone to the Olympics, would your world be completely different? Or do you think would you be on the path that you're on now? Yeah, I think I think I, it would be different because I don't think I'd be the same person or look at the world the same way as what I learned from that period of, of being on crutches, not being able to run and really just having to take that step back. Um, I think I just learned so much about balance and, and about life and um yeah, I think I think uh, I'm not sure who I would be. <laughs> it's funny they say everything happens for a reason, and I'm sure at the time it didn't feel like it was a good reason that it was happening to you. But look at the career you have um, created for yourself now, a world class champion athlete. It's it's fantastic, and no doubt end up continuing to to podium and, and to win races around the world. In terms of transitioning across from a single sport to that multi-sport and, you know, obviously we would see a lot of um, runners or swimmers or cyclists looking to take the plunge into triathlon, move across from that one individual sport. What was the hardest part of that transition for you, moving across from a runner into a triathlete? I think the, the hardest part for me was getting my head around you you couldn't swim with the swim squad and bike with the the cycling group and stick to your run program like I loved my run program I loved my run routine um and for someone to say less is actually more um because you've got three sports it's not three times the amount you can't literally do that otherwise you, you just get slower and it was having that balance of okay juggling your your weakness improving your weakness but not losing the weapon of your strength and that has been yeah an ongoing challenge um and also of course the nutrition and and the swim um because with it being such a longer event than yeah four minutes on a track running you you don't have to think about anything <laughs> whereas uh yeah with a with a four hour race is a bit different or an eight hour Ironman it's very different <laughs> even more different. I want to talk to you a little bit about the injury and protecting your body now from injury to make sure that you don't have, have issues going forward. And one of the big things I hate, and I'm self-confessed, I hate it. I hate doing strength and conditioning. I don't like yoga and Pilates. Put me on a bike and I'm happy or throw me in the sea, even a little bit of running. But how much focus do you now put on the strength and conditioning side of your training and the recovery side of your training? 
as I was a runner, um, I kind of just, I just live life to, yeah, I didn't think about those external things of, of like recovery to me was, okay, you're just not running. Whereas not actively, okay, what am I eating? Um, and sleeping. I used to be a terrible, terrible sleeper. Um, and yeah, triathlons really taught me if you're a bit slack in one area, like it does, it bites you in the bum. So, I've kind of just um, really on on the recovery side of things, that's definitely improved a lot through sleep. That was kind of the lesson that taught me the most, I think, that I've seen the biggest change. And then on the SNC side of things, I do it religiously. My, my minimal is twice a week and just making it functional. So not just going into the gym and pushing heavy weights for the sake of it. But I think... I'm better at doing it when I know why I'm doing it, when I know, okay, this leads into this part of the bike or this part of the run and just making that brain connection with it and then putting that into when I'm running on the treadmill, okay, I'm thinking about that exercise I did and I'm actually thinking about turning that muscle on and I'm thinking, and when you feel good from one exercise, then you're like, okay, yeah, like I want to feel better and and it's just that positive cycle of reinforcement of, uh, yeah, it's working. So definitely much better at it than I was. And do you think the fact that you're a physiotherapist as well behind it all, that you're more in tune with your body and where those niggles are coming from, as opposed to somebody like me that might just try and do some exercises to work through a niggle or some stretches? Do you think that that has benefited you having that kind of insider knowledge on your body? Yeah, I think uh, it used to work against me because I always thought I was superhuman. So I, I could tell people, OK, don't do this because this is going to have blah, blah. Whereas it came to me, I'd always say, OK, the best case scenario. So if, if I had a niggle in my foot, I'd be like, oh, it's just a twinge of a, a dead foot because you were sitting on it. You've just blocked a nerve for a couple of minutes. Like, go run and that will make it feel better. Um, whereas now I think it does work in my favor because when I'm thinking about the exercises and and the things that I'm doing, it makes sense for all the body parts and yeah, the things that we were taught, actually putting them into my own practice now, it, it makes a lot more sense. How are you getting your training done at the moment? Mix of indoors, outdoors, what sort of training are you doing now and how are you maximizing your, your time? Yeah, so um, we've just come back from the coast, so being um, uh, by the sea at Durban to Johannesburg. So obviously we've just moved back up to altitude. Um, so just going to do a little base block, just uh, yeah, low heart rate to begin with, get everything moving, get everything uh, back started again. Um, and yeah, hoping for maybe a Zwift series in February. Um, just any racing, we'll, we'll take what we can get. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely don't see that we'll be um, racing till April. So I'm going to do that cycle of three weeks hard, one week easy. And yeah, just build up the, the strength in my body. And uh, I love training. So it's more a case of, yeah, just making sure we don't overdo it. Don't get too excited. Um, and yeah, just be ready for whatever comes first. So explain to the listeners what you mean by being at altitude. How does that affect your breathing or your performance? Yeah, so I think here we're almost 2000 um, in height. So that's probably similar to Boulder. So altitude training, the benefit is, yeah, the higher up you go, the less oxygen there is. Um, So it makes you produce more red blood cells. So if you go straight up high and you try and train hard and get that intensity in, um, then you can obviously fatigue yourself a lot more, do do a a lot more damage. Um, A lot of people find it hard to sleep at altitude. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a progressive, you'll see your heart rates higher. So it's kind of trying to go off heart rate and oxygen saturation levels to begin with, and then just monitor that progression up to, uh, yeah, doing longer, 
um, kind of low intensity reps to begin with. So does that mean when you go back down to sea level that technically you should be stronger because you've worked with less oxygen? Yeah, yeah. So it should you should be able to, uh, yeah, produce more energy for less. So you've got more of your blood blood cells. So yeah, take more of that oxygen in. I want to come back to something you mentioned earlier about um, sleeping. So how you're now sleeping better than uh, than you were. So what did you do to affect that change with the sleeping? Was it a change in habits? And um, was it going to bed earlier? Not looking at your phone? What was it? Because a lot of people now, especially during COVID, they're very anxious and they're finding it hard to sleep. So so, you know, we're all on our phones scrolling. We're not reading a book. We don't have good sleep hygiene. But was there anything in particular you did to support your, your sleep? Yeah, so pretty much everything that you can do wrong, I was doing wrong. So it was a whole change of habit. So um, first of all, we blacked out my room. So made it tidy, blacked it out. So yeah, then it was dark when I was I love sleeping. the way you said you made it tidy. Had you a messy bedroom? <laughs> yes, I'm the messiest <laughs> person ever. So... Yeah, that was a big challenge. Um, and um, as a runner, I was so into sugary things. So I'd be high energy um, and we train late. So I trained with a squad at half six. I wouldn't get home till nine, ten. Um, and then I wouldn't want a big meal or anything. I'd just, yeah, have some sweets, like chill out with a fizzy drink or whatever. Um, and then be trying to go to sleep, which is crazy. Um, and also hot drinks. Um, I love a good cup of tea or something before. And then that was getting me up to go to the loo. Um, and yeah, just being hyped up before. So I was not a morning trainer. Um, I was an evening trainer because a lot of the track races were in, in the evening. So yeah, it was kind of getting that pattern of after training, I wouldn't stand and talk to everyone for hours and then get home late. It was more okay, I'm going to go chill, uh, have something like protein so that I'm not getting up in the middle of the night hungry. Um, and yeah, also with the phones, I, I really, everyone says it, but it is such a massive difference. If you're not kind of looking at your phone, um, if you try and switch your brain off and almost go into a relaxing, yeah, watching something relaxing, like, um, yeah, just putting some kind of mindless TV on and, and you soon fall asleep. <laughs> over here we'll ha all have the fires on we won't have the sun beaming through the window um in the middle of winter <laughs> i want to ask you a little bit about your season for 2020 I, I know there wasn't many races but you did do ironman 70.3 south africa you did do the super league triathlon you were in daytona you were zwifting so for a year where there was a lot of races cancelled you put in some stellar performances yeah, we kind of, we were just, again, in that cycle of we we agreed to be ready for whatever and we said we would do whatever to the point of Jared got me a mountain bike and I, I hate, hate going off road. And he was like, you're doing this, you're going to improve your handling. And then I said, he said, you're going to do the first race that comes along. And I was like, yeah, agreed, totally. And I was expecting a road bike race or something. This gravel race comes along and I was like, oh no. And I'd made a promise. So yeah, I went off road. I totally stacked it. But um, yeah, we, we literally just took whatever we could and, and we had fun doing it. Um, definitely, yeah, grew as an athlete. That's what I was going to ask you, you know, as a professional athlete, you must be under pressure at times to win a race. Obviously, it's your salary and your, your career is, uh, you know, winning races and performing well at races. But how much of it is fun and how much of it is, is work? You know, is there a fun element to the side of pro racing that we don't see? 
Yeah, definitely. I think I think it is hard work. And, and I always say when people are on training camps and in the fourth or the fifth day of it, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is real. This is like what you're going through day each day. And yeah, sometimes you don't want to go out for a run when you've done a hard bike and swim in the morning and it's five o'clock and yeah, everything aches. But yeah, I love it. I, I am so lucky and, and what we do and I do it because I love it. And, and I really do each day yeah, know how lucky I am to do it as a job. It's not always glamorous and, and there are times where you have to do things that you maybe don't want to do, but um, that's life. And I think we are yeah, so lucky to be able to do what we do. If you look back to 2020, what was the highlight of the year for you? Um, oh, it's, it's, I, <laughs> I either have to say getting engaged or getting a puppy. Because, uh, <laughs> not sport related at all. <laughs> <laughs> my two boys um but sport related I would say Daytona just because it was the big thing of we didn't we didn't train for it we didn't think we'd get there um and yeah last minute we we managed to get across so totally unexpected to that in the Zwift races I had good fun in in the Zwift races you were putting out some serious power uh in the race with the I think it was at Lucy at one stage you had phenomenal watts I mean it was absolutely like nuts the amount of power that you guys were pushing through the pedals in the Zwift race and it was crazy because we changed our whole training. So I, I said, going into lockdown, I couldn't sprint. And literally me and Jared would spend evenings in the garage and he was showing me how to not get dead, dead spots in your pedal stroke and extending at the bottom and pushing through and getting up. And yeah, it was so much fun when you do do it. And I'm like, yo, this hurts. <laughs> it certainly does. Um, in terms of Daytona, were you happy with your performance? no no uh, and I know you got I mean, a penalty as well I never found out why you got the penalty did you find out why you got a penalty no so it's still um they've actually taken it now into an investigation to to the board so PTO are uh, doing it on my behalf which is yeah again I'm really thankful for for having that um board there and yeah hopefully we find out but um, I just, um, yeah, without the penalty, I think I would, I, I just made some real mistakes that I look back and I'm like, what was I doing? Um, and uh, yeah, I think as well, I didn't put the specific work in um, that if we known we were racing, just, just being more aero and being able to spend that time in the bars because um, the bike was brutal. Just, uh, yeah, I shouldn't have moved from <laughs> that position. But hey, it was I was so happy to be there and it was a great race. Uh, and just for our listeners who mightn't be aware of what Challenge Daytona was this year, talk me through the distances uh, and the, the setup of the event very briefly. So um, I think it was a tiny bit longer swim. So it's like 2K swim. Um, and then a little bit of a shorter bike and run. So I think 80k bike and 18k run. Um, but it was all on the Daytona race course. So uh, the water was two laps in um, in the lake they have there. And then um, it was 20 laps uh, around the race course. And then, um, yeah, 18k. So yeah, super fast, super flat. And uh, every it was, it was a good turnout, like for, yeah, everyone traveled that could and, and it was awesome race it was great to watch and it was great to see so many of the big names yourself included on the start line but also to see some of the other athletes coming through as well and some of the British athletes um, did very very well that were coming through it was really exciting to watch and it looked you know really good like we were watching it here obviously um, glued to it and enjoying the coverage um, looking to 2021 and aside from your wedding next Friday which will be two days from now when the show goes live what are the plans for 2021 when you can get back racing 
the big goal, the the A race. Um, if I can get into the Collins Cup, that that would be amazing. And and doing Samarin um, as a big race in May. Um, but the goal will be to travel back to Europe if, if the races are on. So in April, um, do a good European block of races there and then go to America and, and get ready for Boulder um, and do some of the American races there. Fingers crossed if the World Duathlon also works into there, that would be amazing. And uh, yeah, again, just racing. I, I like to race quite often. So uh, just getting getting out on the scene again. You won Dublin 70.3 and you won Staffordshire 70.3. So are you tempted to come back to Staffordshire and will you come to Cork uh, in August? Would they potentially be on the cards for you or will they clash with your plans for the States? Yeah, so definitely Staffordshire. I would love to be there. I would. I hope to still be in Europe by then. Um, and yeah, I just want to spend time with my family and, and for them to all be able to come to a race would be, yeah, that would be so good. So fingers crossed. Is it hard being so far away from them now, Emma? I know you've lived in South Africa for a while and, and you know, life on the road as a professional athlete is very different to what some of us would experience as a, a nine to five Monday to Friday office job. But especially during COVID and considering, you know, the influence that your mum had and the support that she had throughout your your younger years as an athlete in, in terms of supporting your sport. Is it hard to be so far away from home now? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think it never felt far away because I always thought I can just anytime I can pop on that plane and, and yeah, whereas especially times at Christmas and uh, I've got a four-year-old nephew and yeah always talking to him through Skype which which isn't quite the same as being able to tip him upside down and <laughs> run around in the garden with him but um yeah and and my mum similarly she would always pop across to whatever race she could when I was in Europe so uh yeah, hopefully things get back to, to normal soon. Before we go to some of our audience questions, and we actually have quite a lot of them, so I'm conscious that we've been chatting for a while already and that we have some more questions. Um, but as a female athlete and as a role model for other athletes coming through, not giving up sport in, in teenage years and, and coming through the whole way, um, what sort of advice would you give to mums and dads now about their daughters who are involved in sport and whether that's running, swimming, cycling, gymnastics, whatever it is, you know, to keep them in the sport, what would you suggest that parents do to support their daughters in sport as they get older? Um, I think just making sure that they're having fun and and that they can talk to anyone because I think especially girls in sport they can they're either very competitive and very driven and it can be a bit of a thing that gets they they get worried about or they get like it's a bit of a stress um, and I think keeping that enjoyment factor in so making sure that whatever they do that that they're enjoying it that they're loving going to it that yeah, they have their friends there and um, just supporting them at their own pace. Like my mum never, ever pushed me. It, it, she was the opposite. She was trying to hold me back and being like, yeah, there are other things you could do as well, you know, and uh, keep me balanced. And yeah, just always just supporting what they want to do if it makes them happy and um yeah just let them do it at their own pace that would definitely be my advice you mentioned your mum quite a bit how important was her support as a kid growing up for sport do you think you'd be where you are today without her support yeah definitely not well without without a doubt she kind of uh she raised us to do what we love and even when so we were younger my brother was obsessed with ballet and I was obsessed with football and everyone was looking at us like shouldn't you swap them around and she was like <laughs> happy well, I'm happy and yeah he's a professional ballet dancer now and and we're just I don't know it's it's just all the time that she um gave up is yeah massive it, it kind of made us 
um, be able to do what we love. So, yeah. Do you think do you think your ability in sport and your brother's ability in dance was in your genes? Um, well, my dad definitely can't dance. And, um, <laughs> So I'm sure, yeah, my, my granddad was was a very good runner. So uh, I'll, t- I'll take it from him, I think. Uh, the one other thing I want to ask you before we go to the audience questions is if you could give your younger self some advice about life and sport, what would it be? Um, I think I tell myself to listen more to my body, that that not to always be so mind driven and, and be so direct on things to actually listen and um, know when to back off, know when to take an easy day and know when to go hard, kind of just have more of a range um, and be a bit smarter with, yeah, listening, listening. I think we could all do with listening to our bodies a bit more, although when it tells us to sit on the couch for the fourth day in a row, we might need to stop listening to it. <laughs> Uh, so just moving over to some of our audience questions. So obviously, we, we knew we were going to interview you today and uh, we asked across social media for some questions. So Deirdre Kelly, who's a big fan of the show, had loads of questions, but we've actually asked some of them already. Two of them, though, are number one, what's your most favourite race? And two, where do you want to live long term? Oh, um, I think Barcelona would have to be my most favorite race, uh, the 70.3, because of, yeah, the hills and the uh, run on the coast. Yeah, that's definitely my fave. And I think long term, I can see myself living in, in South Africa, but I think we will always be tripping um, to spend time in Europe, too. I think, uh, yeah, they'll be our two bases and, and we'll just chase the summer. Chase the summer and chase the sun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and good wine. Yeah, <laughs> good wine. Uh, Emer Comerford, who has just actually completed a project on women in sport. So a little shout out to Emer there on her project. Uh, how important are the easy sessions that you do? And after a race, how long and what kind of recovery would you take? So there's two questions there again. How important are the easy sessions? And after a race, how long and what kind of recovery would you take? Yeah, so I think your easy sessions are just as important as as the hard ones because they're the ones that you're building up that metabolism that you're actually teaching the the heart rate to be down and on good form. So the technique ones, I say, if not more important, then they're definitely equally as important as the hard ones. And and again, after a race, I think it's really dependent on the race and also how your body feels and and how many races you've done. So for me. I like to actively recover after a race. So the, the first day, I'll probably just do a spin and a, a swim. Um, and then the second day, I'll just do an easy jog and a swim and then pretty much back into full training. But it's taken a while to get to that point. If I'm on a really hot or a really hilly um, race, then my doms after will be way worse. So, so I'll take it a little bit easier. Um, so yeah, really dependent. How does the heat affect you, Emma? So the likes of Hawaii or Lanzarote or, or somewhere that's really, really hot, does that affect you more than if you were racing in the UK? Yeah, yeah, definitely, for sure. I just feel like um, it just drains so much more out of me and, and especially the humidity. So the heat I actually find easier than the humidity. The humidity I always find I will pull up sore for about two to three days afterwards, like really, really sore muscles. So uh, yeah, it definitely uh, drains me. And do you have to do particular type of recovery then after that type of a race as opposed to maybe a flatter, cooler race? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I personally, I will, again, try and do a little bit of leg and a little bit of uh, arm movement of both, but uh, it'll be a lot shorter. So yeah, and just keeping cool. So if you're indoors, having a fan on, um, but trying to do the ride outdoors and um, yeah, just being a little bit more wary of, of sweat rates. Dermot then asks, uh, do you think duathlon is a good preparation for those new to try? And did you specialise in duathlon before triathlon? Um, yeah, I think duathlon is really good, especially for winter strength. So duathlons hurt and they make you so strong. Um, and especially if you're a good swimmer, do duathlons because they will make your triathlon that much, much uh, stronger. Um, and for me, I kind of... I did triathlon first but I used duathlon as that progression of getting some results whilst I was still working on my swim. Jonathan Wabaker and I hope I've pronounced his name I apologize Jonathan if I haven't what keeps you motivated many of us struggle with keeping motivated during these crazy times Emma just seems to keep on going no matter what it's almost as if she never has a bad day so Emma what keeps you motivated yeah talk to Jared I have plenty of bad days um (laughs) but I think I just um it's just loving what I do and knowing that always the first two steps out the door are the hardest. If you're tired, if you're, if you're, yeah, not feeling great, if I don't know, something has happened, always those first two steps or that first little bit of the circle, um, can be the hardest bit. Whereas when you get into it and afterwards you just, you always feel better. And I always say no problem can't be solved with a run. And and maybe that's a bit naive, but I always feel just so much better when I've moved, when I've done like what I want to do. And, and, um, yeah, I just think just loving what you do. Um, I think it's important. If you're not having fun with, with your training, then just mixing it up, getting some variation in doing it with people, whatever it is that makes you tick, just make sure you love, love doing it. Is running the one sport that you will always go to? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So for me, who really should be picking up my running over the next couple of weeks, and I'm sure there's many others who have been neglecting their run, maybe for the extra bit of Zwifting or whatever that's going on. What would be your tips to get me back running again, to lace up those runners and just go outside? I think I think have something to focus on. So have a point whether you're thinking about pulling up, so your, your heel to your bum, but in, in part of your cycle or taking your shoulders back or breathing a a little bit deeper just having a focus point that's going to make your run feel more comfortable because then you're ease into it you're and you won't think about oh oh, I hate doing this I wish I wasn't out running again like you just start the run you have a focus point and it'll make you feel better and then you just steadily get into your pace and not starting off too fast that's the other one just starting nice and steady thinking about that focus point and just finding your flow and your rhythm and music I love music so getting a good playlist on and just yeah running with your music that question brought us nicely into the next one um, from Heather O'Brien who asks uh, being especially strong in one discipline how do you balance your training to reflect this I think so I with my running I kind of I always do a reasonable amount of running because I know that that I can and as long as it's not impacting on the others so the swim and bike will be my priority and I'll push the run as far as it's not eating into the others. If, if I'm seeing my power drop or if I'm struggling and, and really tired on a day, then I know that the run will, be, will have to be the one that, that goes. So just prioritizing the other two and yeah. So ditching the run for the least favorite disciplines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Rachel Nolan asks, do you think bib shorts are more comfortable than bibless shorts or why are most women wearing them? 
personally, I much prefer the bib shorts. I just think that um, they do, they just hold and fit a little bit better. Um, and uh, I personally always wear them. But again, everyone's different. I know my mother-in-law-to-be, I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but she prefers uh, non-bibs. So yeah, I think it's really personal, but um, my preference would be bib So Emma, we did get a question in. I don't have uh, this person's name uh, here in front of me, but it's with regards to sponsorship and how does an athlete go about getting sponsorship? You've obviously changed from the BNC team for uh, the coming year. So how does that all work? Yeah, so I think with um, sponsors, they kind of, there is uh, a lot of people cutting back um, and I was really fortunate enough to be able to work with Specialized. And um, so for me, I I find it hard and awkward. Like I'm not trained in business management and I don't like having those conversations. Um, so I have someone that represents me um, and yeah, I leave the, the conversations to them. And I kind of also, so I coach at the same time and just for that way of if if I don't get the sponsors next year I always know I can support myself and and believe in myself and that's kind of my way of coping with it it kind of takes the pressure off of okay if there is a bad year that I can still do what I love so uh, yeah that's kind of my personal way of handling it. One or two more questions before we finish up and a huge thanks to our listeners for asking those questions if I could ask you who is your sporting hero? I think I'd have to say Kelly Holmes and just because the work that she's done after achieving such great things and then carrying on putting it back into the sport. So focusing on the next generation and yeah, the advice she's given me and the work that I've seen her do in the community is just amazing. So yeah, she'd be my hero. And for those who are tuning in to the very first episode of Try Talking Sport of 2021, who maybe are considering taking the plunge into running or triathlon, what advice would you give them for the next few weeks going forward? I would say do it and start off steady. So just go at your own pace, start off really small and always end to begin with knowing that you could have done more because then it's the consistency that counts so if you think you can go for a half an hour run at say I don't know five minute k pace then slow it down a little bit and just get it done and then the next day you can do something else and then run again the next day so just making it really progressional so don't go all guns blazing just start off steady and better to back up days than do a massive day and then nothing for three days. Um, and yeah, that's the way to build up nice and strong. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. I'm delighted to open the year with you um, as our guest on the podcast and wish you and Jared every success for Friday for the wedding. We'll be dying to see the Instagram photographs and the Instagram stories. And I want to see it all for the next few days. I want to see it all. The behind the scenes, the crack and the banter and all the fun and um, best of luck with everything for 2021. I really hope to see you on a finish line somewhere, whether it's in the UK or further afield. Um, But congratulations on everything so far. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by and say hi. Let me know what you think of the show. If you're new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be both inspired and impressed by our guests. In the meantime, until the next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. Bye.